2: The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. We are
3: breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go.
2: Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, everybody. This is episode seventy-five, the early Sunday morning edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Scott, you have some grown-up stuff to do later today, so you made me get up at the crack of dawn. Yeah, yes. So you gotta grow up at some point in your life,
3: and I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm the one that's that's pushing you in that direction. I have to do a bunch of stuff around the house. It never ends. This place is just, uh, it's turning into one project after another. So, yeah, I gotta do grown-up things around the house. Little, uh, little, little house uh, homeowner CrossFit. I'm watching the sunrise
2: as we speak. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> it's, it feels like it's 6 a.m. It's, it's a Sunday morning. I usually sleep in on Sundays.
3: Well, now you have a Bronx Pixar show. It's even better.
2: Even better. Um, as I said, episode 75. And I want to give a quick shout out to Burnt Out Attorney at Empire Esquire on Twitter. He gave us a stat for the 75th episode. Because there is no Yankees uh, number, uniform number 75 in their history. So he gave us the stat that Yogi Berra played in 75 World Series games, which is the highest all-time by, by a good amount. He's 10 over Mickey Mantle, who has 65. And I remember when, when Yogi passed, we, there was a lot of cool Yogi stats going around. And he played in as many World Series games as some teams like the Red Sox.
3: It's a crazy number when you think about how many, how many actual games that is and the amount of success that those teams had. Absolute crazy number. And uh, Yogi, if you look up Yogi, if you don't know a lot about Yogi Berra, take some time and just do yourself a favor and look up his stats, his numbers, and just everything about this guy because he's a phenomenal, one, a phenomenal baseball player and just a really interesting guy You know, overall. His strikeout numbers are insane. They're, they're something uh, unbelievable.
2: Oh you mean, yeah, like the, the like the amount of times he strike exactly, he used yeah. to strike out. It was yeah.
3: like eight, like eight in a season, or not even that. It was yeah. something crazy. I'll look it up.
2: Like Tony Gwynn.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, if you if anybody out there listening has a number a stat for the, for the corresponding episode next week, obviously will be number seventy six. Shoot me something on Twitter, and uh, I'll, if it, if I like it, I'll use it. So uh, last week we kind of teased that we have a new shirt for the big three out of the bullpen, and we released that this week. Close BMC. Uh, it seemed to be going well on Twitter. People were retweeting it and stuff. But that shirt is awesome. So that's in the fan shop right now if you want to get it. I know there's a lot of shirts that are going around the internet uh, from different websites. DMC, which is a complete ripoff of, of the actual <laughs> group. And they're using Dellin. Miller and uh, Chapman, but we've decided to go with all last names, close BMC. It still works. It's still, you know, you get the idea of DMC, run DMC, but it is more authentic, I think.
3: Yeah, you know, it's a little bit more consistent. That's what I was kind of alluding to last week. Like, oh, let's just throw in a first name to, to you know, match the last names and then we'll make it work. No, this is different. This is, this is not run DMC. It's a tribute to run DMC, but it's close BMC because that's who we
2: are. I love it. And we can't get sued if, if DMZ, if yeah, if nobody DMZ sue wants us. to sue anybody. We can't even get better. Sued. <laughs> even better. <laughs> uh, we also got the one oh five mile an hour stadium speed limit. I know you were trying to decide on uh, on a design. Do, do we have a winner on which one which one was more popular? Yeah, so I was supposed to have this
3: out last week and then I just I wasn't really happy with the design, so I kinda went back to the drawing board and 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 tweaked it up a little bit and then I put it out as a poll. And you know, on I did an internal poll and Andrew's gonna take this to uh, he's gonna take exception to this I know because he was a little butthurt I think when when we first started Going about this design but the the design went out and we had two options and I I sent it inside like the Bronx pinstripes group first Like all of our writers is what I usually do. I usually get their feedback first and then I go to the public and Everybody every single person picked the the horizontal design rather than the, the vertical and then I go to Twitter and it's just like 50 It's you know the other one actually won by a little bit, but
2: yeah, but um, you can't go by those because I saw what you did. You did likes for the vertical and retweets for the horizontal, and people no, are I, much more likely to like something versus retweet it.
3: I did the reverse. I don't think I knew so. You were going to say that. Yeah, I don't yeah, think I, so.
2: Look it up. I knew you were going to say that, so I did the
3: reverse because I figured that. I figured. No, you're right. I did. No, you're right. I did. Because <laughs> uh, let me tell you what. My, I had reasoning behind it. It's because I thought everybody in the group picked that. So I was like, oh, we'll get a, ro- a lot more retweets this way. That was my. That was my reasoning. I see what you're saying, though.
2: Yeah. I, it's all right. All right. It's it's tough, tough I, it's t- you should have done a poll. I know, but I wanted the retweets. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm a greedy bastard. You I'm sorry. whore. You're a whore for retweets. Yes, I am. Uh, yeah, people are much more likely to, to just click the like button instead of a retweet button. So that's it, true. the fact that it was almost 50-50 should tell you that the horizontal one is a better design.
3: You know, as as I look at it more, I, I do like it. It's more appealing to my eyes. So that was my original thing anyway. Like that's where my direction was going. So I need to stick with my gut.
2: Yeah, but. Yeah. Don't take offense to it. You know, you, you thought you were making something better, but you, you got to stick with the gut, man, sometimes. See, this is
3: what you, this is our, If it, you guys should be privy to this conversation <laughs> because you thought I took offense to the fact that I put up two designs and you told me to make a stadia, uh, speed limit sign. And I said, no, that's corny. I don't want to make a speed limit sign because that's corny. And then, and then Andrew took that as, oh, I'm corny. Now I'm corny. And I'm like, oh, here we go. This guy is just, to taking everything so personally about this when both of them are my designs like why am I taking offense to this? They're both <clears throat> my my doing I, I made them both. So why would I take offense to it? You were pretty butthurt No, I wasn't I wasn't at all. I was literally looking for feedback
2: Okay,
3: <laughs> but it's all right So yeah, I think we're gonna go with the horizontal one it is uh, and, and it'll be up at some point this week So check it out.
2: Awesome. I, I do re- I like both but I think the horizontal one is is a little less harsh on the eyes that I don't know. I know. I know you said big font on T-shirts is in, but I I don't know. I guess that's just not my style.
3: Yeah, it is. All the, the kids love it. The kids love it. And I thought I was being nice and hip as a as a thirty six year old in a week uh, by using the the emojis in the design. I thought that was pretty. I thought that was pretty trendy of me.
2: <laughs> it's very Michael K of you. Yeah. Thank you. Um... So, I don't know. What do you think of this week? West Coast baseball, I think it kills a lot of people with the late nights and, you know, staying up late. The first two games of this road trip, the Yankees were losing. But uh, I guess they've kind of salvaged it. As I mentioned, we're recording Sunday morning, so we still don't know what happened. They're currently on a four game win streak. We got Pineda pitching this afternoon, so things could go downhill with Pineda on the mound. But, you know, with the start of the week, they had an Arizona. Overall, it's been kind of a, a a nice week when you think about the last four games.
3: Yeah, it definitely started off on a different note because I mean we were fully expecting to walk into arizona off of our off of our current hot streak at the time and and, and do some damage and do do well there, take advantage of that team. And it just didn't happen. Um, luckily, they salvaged the last game, but yeah, we' were, you know I was definitely looking for more, and the fact that they were late games was made it even worse.
2: West Coast baseball is
3: brutal. It sucks. It sucks trying to watch. It really does. I mean, I, I stayed up for the majority of the week, and, and it really uh, it, it took a toll the next day. And then by Friday, I, I could not stay awake for the, the last game. I was so tired. <laughs> so yeah, I was, uh, it was all compounded by Friday.
2: Yeah, the the first game Monday was Chad Green versus Zach Grenke, and I could see where that game was trending early on, and it was like the third or fourth inning, and I just said, "Screw this! I'm going to bed. I'm not wasting my time with this game right now."
3: Yeah, stupid me stayed up and watched that because I, you were we were talking about if I actually did stay up because I couldn't remember if I actually did, and, so and delirious. I did. Yeah, so delirious because I saw the the uh, debut of one Connor Mully. Oh, and
2: the infamous Connor Mully. The
3: infamous Connor Molly. So I did witness that, and I did stay up for the. I think all of that game actually. I I may have turned it off in like the in the eighth or ninth.
2: That's a sadistic behavior right there, because that game was a blowout.
3: Yeah, it was bad. It was. I couldn't. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was pissing me off. So I don't know. I figured it was the first one I'd do it, and then
2: I was like, and then every every other game the rest of the week stayed up, stayed up. So. So after those first couple games in in Arizona, Hal Steinbrenner pulled a George Steinbrenner and kind of called out the team, specifically singling out Mark Teixeira, Chase Headley, Pineda, and Severino. And this is not something that Hal Steinbrenner does a lot. He is he is the antithesis of his dad. He is very quiet. He is not he he does not you know have a lot of quotes in the media. He's not he's not um, you know he. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he's not a polarizing figure. He's not like a polarizing figure. He's more behind the scenes guy. Yeah. And um, but he, he kind of he he made a rare statement about the team. You don't really hear it much. But he is disappointed with the way that they started the season. Obviously, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. But uh, you know the team had been playing well at home, and they immediately go losing two in Arizona is disappointing. Singled out Teixeira, Headley, Pineda, and Severino as I just said. And I was kind of surprised he singled out Severino, considering the the guy's a rookie. But the other three totally deserve it. They're making, you know, Headley and Teixeira are making a lot of money. And Pineda's been around the block a bunch of seasons at this point. All of those guys need to be better.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely just. I mean, I I wish he would speak up a little bit more often because it was was also interesting that he gave the coaching staff a complete pass, too, Um, basically saying that it was all on the players. Players got to be better, not on the coaching staff. Which is, when you're this bad at the plate for some of these guys, it's 100% true. Like The coaching staff has nothing to do with Mark Teixeira hitting under 200 and not hitting home runs. That's that's not a coaching thing. That's, you've been in the league for this amount of time. You need to make the adjustments and be better because you're getting paid a lot of money to be better.
2: Yeah, that's so, why I always find it funny when people complain about hitting coaches. And it's like, what, what do you think a hitting coach is going to tell Mark Teixeira, who's been in the right. league for 14 years I mean, but that's the thing about the, the thing
3: about the hitting coaches, though. You would think that they were they're the guys that can see the flaw while a guy is in a slump as well, and they should be able to help them work out of it quicker. So I, I do see that aspect where they should be able to work with them to. to to try to get out of it and identify what's going on. Because sometimes it's, it's hard for, you know, for anything. Like if you're doing something wrong, it's hard to look in the mirror and see what you're doing wrong. Sometimes you need an outside perspective.
2: Right, but it's not, but uh, the hitting coach is not the reason why Mark Teixeira is having one of the worst seasons of his career. No doubt. I, I totally agree with that. There's, it, it needs to, there's a, there's a nice little,
3: there's a, there's a nice counterbalance, I think, with the, with the hitting coach and the player and and how much, uh, how much actual, you know, credit they they get or don't get. So
2: So I mean Hal, I, I, I don't know, I don't wanna <laughs> the team seems like they played a little bit better after those statements went public. I'm not sure if, if some guys took took note of that. I'm sure they did. Anytime your boss calls you out, it's kind of it it kind of, you know, makes waves in the clubhouse. And Unlike George, it's embarrassing too, isn't it? Isn't it embarrassing? Totally is, but unlike yeah. where George would call out his team if they started out the season zero and two,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so you know Hal how picks his spot. So so maybe it's a little bit more meaningful when he does it because you know George used to just say it every week if the team lost a game.
3: Maybe that's I mean, and the fact that he's not said it, you know, this hasn't been his his role to do so. So. I'm just glad he's speaking out because it needs to be he needs to be more of a vocal leader I think I, I don't know maybe we're just used to that because of, uh, because of uh, uh, of George, because of the boss. we're used to the guy up in the up in the box you know put, putting his finger on the on the pulse of the team at all times and actually talking about it and we just haven't had it for so long it's, it almost feels normal um, so I'm glad he's talking
2: yeah it's, it's interesting how he's so different than his dad though um But, you know, speaking of the slow start, Buster only wrote something interesting on Friday on ESPN. And he said that the Yankees should kind of shift their focus from 2016 to 2017. And he called it a retooling, not exactly a rebuilding. So, you know, they're not totally breaking the team down. But he thinks they should shift their focus to 2017 and and really plan to be good that year. And he, he laid out a plan. So so let's go through that because I think there's some interesting points in here. Some of them we've touched on in the past. Some of them we haven't. But first of all, he thinks Aaron Hicks should play every day because he has seen, as we have, that the more regular playing time he gets, the better he's been at the plate.
3: Uh, you know, when you look at Aaron Hicks and you look at the physical tools that he has, uh, you know, obviously we know about the, the cannon he has in the outfield and and how, how you know a plus defender he is but yeah we're starting to see with with that consistent playing time and consistent at bats that he's he's putting together much better at bats he's he's driving the ball and he just he looks like a, a complete five-tool player that that just needs that time to to improve and and that comes with repetitions and actual playing time so i we mean, gotta think about this guy he has he does not have a lot of playing experience so the more he gets uh, you know, the better he can be. But he does have all the makings, you know, the, when you look at him, he's got all the makings of an of a everyday outfielder.
2: Yeah, he's still only 26 years old. So so Buster was saying that the Yankees should continue to develop him because he is a, a very cheap option in the outfield for them for the next few years. And part of that is that he says the Yankees should look at trading Brett Gardner for some prospects. And he, he, he realizes the team is stuck with Ellsbury. That contract, you just can't move it. It's too big to move. But Gardner is still reasonable contract. He, you could move him for for a player or two. So he thinks if you trade Gardner, you play Aaron Hicks every day, and then come August and September, you bring Aaron Judge up to the major league level and see what you got out of him, because they if they think Aaron Judge is going to be a stud, but they got they don't know that for sure. So they got to play him at the major league level to figure that out. And if he isn't, then maybe they go out in the free agent market and sign an outfielder. But if they think Judge is going to be the stud they think he is, then you know maybe they don't have to go spend four hundred million dollars on Bryce Harper. Yeah, but the thing about that
3: is that I mean, obviously we know that Judge had to perform a triple A, and he's doing that. He's making a lot of you know the the, the adjustments that they they were looking for, and he's performed very well. I mean, the guy the guy's been. Um, you know hitting at a very consistent pace at triple-a especially as of late the ball's been going out of the park a lot more often and you know calling him up august september i don't even know if you can get a full look at a guy uh, at the major league level at that point so i don't think they'll make a judgment on that and this isn't i mean this is this is something that's been we've been talking about for probably the past year about trading gardner for prospects at what point is is gardner not not as valuable on the trade market as he is in-house and, you know, I don't know what you're going to get as a return for Gardner anymore. I'm just I'm not I'm not convinced that you're going to get anything great for him. So I'm not I wouldn't be rushed to uh, to trade him. But well, just but, because he's such a homegrown guy and I, I know that there's there's we have guys to take his spot at this point. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's I,
2: more of the thing. I think you're, you're less trading him for the prospects in return and more trading him to to promote growth in your organization for other guys.
3: Yeah, I guess so. I just, I, it bothers me because I feel like they really missed the mark on trading Gardner if they were going to do it.
2: Yeah, I they, think the they, season, it should have already happened. I think this past off season was probably the optimal time to do it, but maybe his wrist injury prevented them from doing that. Yeah, and very and, possibly. And then this next point from Buster was the one that I, that kind of caught everybody's eye. I had not seen it, but he said that they should listen listen to trades for Brian McCann, who does have a no trade clause. So he would have to waive that no trade clause. And I'm not sure he wants to do that because he seems to be pretty happy in New York. But he said a good fit might be the Rangers who who might be interested in trading Joey Gallo for Brian McCann. And I know we got a mailbag about that a month or so ago about trading for Joey Gallo. We kind of disregarded it. We just figured the Rangers wouldn't be interested in doing that. But uh, Buster seems to think that that would be a good fit for Brian McCann. Yeah, see, I still am
3: not... I don't know if I'm on board with this everything really Buster's saying because the, the Joey Gallo the reason we said that we didn't believe that that was an actual plausible reason was because that he has become an outfielder and not as a not a third baseman. And with the Chase Headley contract, if he's coming over, he's not playing third base. Headley's there. He's not playing the outfield because we have plenty of outfielders, so I don't really see that fit. I don't really see a Joey Gallo fit. Well, at I all. think
2: in that case you would you would play him at third base and you'd just have to you just have to bite the bullet on Chase Headley.
3: I mean, that's saying a lot, though. That's 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 saying a lot. So I don't know. And Joey Gallo is. I mean, when he came up to the major leagues last year, uh, he's not in the majors right now, is he? I think he's no, still in the minor. He's in AAA. But a. when he came up last year, he struggled badly. He was he was not good. Yeah, and he's still pretty he, young, though. Yeah, you know, I doubt. No, there's no doubt. So that's that's you're not going to slot him in every day at third base, is what I'm saying. Um, as a guy, you know, he's got the potential. I see that, but. You don't know that he's going to be a third baseman. And with the with the way that the Yankees, you know, regard their defensive abilities, you know, I, I, I just can't see that happening. So I don't think Gallo is a great fit.
2: I also don't think trading Brian McCann is the best decision, you know, that this team could make. Uh, listen, I would love for them to play Gary Sanchez more regularly and at the major league level. But I still think they can do that next year, even if Brian McCann is on the team, because I don't think Mark Teixeira is going to be on the team next year. So you could have McCann sort of be that DH first base catcher role next year. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I think that's I think that was the long
3: term plan with McCann. Also was was moving over to first base. You know, at reps. Obviously, we have Greg Bird that's going to be coming in next year. But, yeah, but McCann is be very off, capable.
2: But Bird. It's the thing with Bird that I think people are going to have to realize next year is he's going to have growing pains because he's coming off a full season of injury. And yeah. it, it, it's only going to be his second year in the in the big leagues. He's going to go through growing pains.
3: No, there's no doubt. That's why I think McCann on the team is valuable still because he can play first base. I think it's a it's a it's a good move. Um, and and Beltran's going to be off, so they're off the books as well. So that will be opening up another spot for, for DH because Arod's not going to be able to do it every day. We're obviously seeing him break down, you know, even more now. So it's it's uh, the, all these things are, are are definitely worrying me about the older talent, but the fact that McCann is flexible in that uh, and can play first base, I think, gives him more value.
2: And then, last but not least, he thinks that they should trade Andrew Miller. Trade Andrew Miller, and just, did he say anything about signing Chapman then at that point? Because well, he said that they should they should trade Andrew Miller uh, and listen to trades for Araldis Chapman, but he thinks because of the domestic violence stuff and the fact that he's a free agent. That the return might not be great on him. So he didn't really mention if they should trade Chapman or not or, or re sign him. I think that if the team is going to be selling, they should look at trading Miller and, and look at re signing Chapman for next year. There's a couple of different
3: elements to this, too. You know, Miller, obviously, he's controlled. He has. Right. That's uh, why you're
2: going to get way more for him than you
3: would Chapman. I agree with that. I, I agree with that. But there's another aspect of Chapman. I don't think the domestic abuse, the domestic, uh, the violence uh, charge is much of a lingering factor anymore. I feel like it's done. And I don't think it's, a, it's, it's too much of a consideration for teams be, because the suspension is complete. But the other thing about Chapman that, you know, damn well, every single owner is going to be looking at, especially the Steinbrenners, is the attractiveness of Araldo Chapman in the ninth inning. I mean, uh-huh. look at what he's done for uh, Yankee Stadium and just the Yankee buzz of coming into the ninth inning and throwing 100 and plus miles per hour the guy is a spectacle he's, he's something that people will pay money to come and see and that is a big deal because the Yankees don't have that and when he when you bring that onto the team that's another element that people want to see and want to come to the ballpark to watch a guy like Chapman and I think other stadiums and other owners will take that into consideration as well whereas Andrew Miller, is a hell of a reliever does his job but he's very vanilla he very you know he does not a lot of flair so that's definitely another element that is off the field but is going to be a
2: consideration i think andrew miller would take offense to the fact of you calling him vanilla
3: (laughs) well sorry sorry miller He, he is a good bouncer though he's got some got some decent
2: uh video how about you know i'd like to be vanilla with a 96 mile an hour fastball and wipe out slider Hey, but you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's an kick.
3: absolute appeal. There's a big appeal for this. And and I think Yan- the Yankees need it more than than a lot of teams because they are the New York Yankees. And Yankee fans are used to seeing, you know, big name players on their team. And this guy is is exactly that. So oh, it, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to go into the, the considerations of trading him at, at the
2: trade deadline. Aroldis Chapman, as you just said, he's a spectacle. He has now made the ninth inning something to look forward to. Not that it wasn't with Andrew Miller or that it wasn't with uh, Dylan Betances or uh, what or David Robertson, it was all fun with those guys. You know they're all great pitchers, but there's something special about Chapman. You don't see a hundred plus miles an hour all the time, so I agree. Uh, something else that sort of made some buzz in Yankee Land was that Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe wrote that he thinks if the Angels were to trade Mike Trout that the Yankees would be the number 1 landing spot for him. And a couple of the reasons being he said that the Yankees obviously they can pay him. No no that's not an issue. Also that they have they would be willing to trade the handful of prospects that it would take to get Trout. And those prospects would be, you know, Severino, Greg Bird, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, not all of those guys, but a good number of those guys. Yeah, it's first of all, the Boston
3: Globe just floats anything out there, right? They just – they love floating that stuff out there for, for clicks. They
2: do love that clickbait, but Kofardo I kind of respect Coffardo. He usually doesn't just write stuff to write stuff.
3: Yeah. the It's an interesting – it's an interesting look. I mean I don't think it's going to happen because unless unless the, the Angels just continue to take – they're not that far out of it right now. I mean they're still within striking distance. But if they – and they've been underperforming. And they just but signed if, the freak. And they just which you know, it, you you could you could look at that as
2: a positive <laughs> or a negative. I don't know, but <laughs> that, might, that might be signs that they're ready to trade some guys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, they did give him two and a half million dollars, but but this is a guy that obviously would command probably you know the 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 highest bounty of, of any player on the market right now uh, that would be tradable, and and he's what twenty three years old? Is no, he twenty three? He's twenty four. No, he's nice. No, twenty three or twenty four. He's young, young. This is a guy that. That is has a huge future in front of him, is is uh, you know one of those guys that you would covet. So so yeah, he's a guy that you would give up a lot for, and
2: I still would because he still has a a, a lot of his career in front of him. Yeah, he's twenty four and he's signed yeah. through the twenty twenty season. Yeah, he's a young dude at who has relatively, everything in front of him. relatively good amount of money for for a guy like Mike Trout. I mean, six years, one hundred forty four million dollars. So he's making a lot of money, but he's not making. Oh, uh, I just look. I'm looking at the year by year breakdown and starting in 2018 he makes 34 million a year. So it starts escalating? Yeah, I mean it was So that it, means he should so that means he's becoming more tradable as the years go
3: on for for the Angels.
2: Well, no. They I want mean, they want to get rid
3: of the contract, They're more I likely
2: mean. to trade him but less attractive to another team because if you're another team and you trade for him for next year, you get him for $20 million and then it goes up. But if you trade for him in 2018, you're paying him 34 million a year. He's probably still worth it when you look at the open market, but that's a lot of money.
3: I know, but if you're looking at that and, you know, I don't know if, if you get to that $34 million point, whereas, you know, 20 some million dollars, you're giving up less prospects. You're looking at at, at teams that are willing to give up that kind of money kind of lands more in the Yankees territory at that point than it does other teams.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He goes, so he signed that big extension and it, it started off low at a million bucks and then six, 16, and then it escalates from there.
3: Man, that's crazy. That's a that's a nice little escalator.
2: Yeah, it goes six, sixteen, twenty,
3: thirty-four. Oh my God! Good for Mike Trout. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a Jersey guy that people would, I think, openly embrace. I mean, he's got the he's got the a lot of like Mickey Mantle type qualities of a, of a player. He puts his head down. He grinds. He's not stealing bases like he used to, and that's I'm sure by design. Because they don't want him stealing bases as much, but he's got the potential. The guys he's just a hell of a ball player. I mean, I would I would love to see Mike Trout and Pinstripes. Honestly, I would like to see Mike Trout over Bryce Harper and Pinstripes because I just like the the Mike Trout type of player more than I do Bryce Harper.
2: So the thing about the Angels though, with Artie Moreno, I don't think they like to sell. He he's he's a he usually goes out and signs the big name free agent probably to a fault. I mean, he gave. Pujols a ton of money, gave uh, Hamilton a ton of money, and that was a terrible contract. Yeah, So uh, I feel like he's more likely to go out and try and fix the team than he is to trade Mike Trout.
3: I think so, too. I think that was evident with even giving Lincecum $2.5 million for God knows what you're going to get from this guy. I mean, I know that's not a lot of money when you're talking about Major League Baseball players, but um, I agree with you. I think he's the type of guy. I mean, look, they ate a Josh Hamilton contract, practically ate it. I mean, just, just, okay, here. And then they, and then they let him back to a division rival. It's crazy to me. Like here, you can have the problem now basically, but yeah, they ate the contract. So he's not afraid to to spend money or eat money. Uh,
2: um, yeah. So, I mean, and you, to your point about you rather have trout than Bryce Harper, I would probably agree. I think Trout's a better player than Harper, better all around player. It's not to say Harper's not unbelievable. He, I know he's probably has the better OPS over the last, you know, two plus seasons. But when it comes down to who I rather have on my team for the next, say, 10 years, I think I'd rather yeah. have Mike Trout.
3: Yeah, definitely. Me too. Me too. I, th- I, I, I love everything about him as a baseball player. I think he's he's just, he's, the, he's the, the perfect center fielder.
2: And I think if you bring him to an East Coast team, he's going to be more popular. He kind of is buried out in Anaheim. I guess, is, that, marketability. Is, that just, is
3: that just for us? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's like on the L.A. scene. I can't see him as like a real big L.A. guy. He doesn't come across I as just, that.
2: I just don't think that sports figures, especially in baseball, have the same kind of celebrity that they do on the East Coast, on the West Coast.
3: Yeah, I think I, – yeah, I, I'd agree with that I guess. And his – I'm pretty sure in his offseason he's back in Jersey every offseason too. So he's not staying out there either. And he's, he comes home. Yeah, he's, he's just de- kind of a humble
2: guy. Who puts exactly. his head down and grinds. He's yeah. more humble, so he's not as flair. He doesn't have the same flair that Bryce Harper does. He doesn't pose in ESPN the magazine and say he wants to make baseball fun again. So he doesn't have that that sort of, you know. A lot of people are probably just down the middle on on Mike Trout. They don't really have a strong opinion either way. Where I think many fans either love or hate Bryce Harper.
3: Yeah, well, and Mike, you got to remember Bryce Harper is from the the Las Vegas area, so he's he he knows showmanship, right? Like this guy knows the 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 Vegas lights and it explains and, and a lot. Make it, make, it does explain a lot because he he definitely uh, likes to make headlines and and likes to do like uh, you know elaborate things. So
2: there was a there was, I, I in my frat in college, we had a kid from Vegas, and he he was an interesting character. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, All right, Uh, before we get to the game breakdowns, one more topic, and it's about some changes that potentially could come to Major League Baseball next year. And thanks to Jeff Everstudious on Twitter for pointing this out to us. He wanted us to discuss it, and it's basically that the strike zone is going to change from – they're going to raise the lower part of the strike zone from the bottom of the knee to the top of the knee. And they're also going to get rid of the uh, intentional walk, where you have to actually physically throw the baseball. You can just call it, and the guy will go down to first base.
3: Yeah. So these changes, while they're not completely, they're not they're not very like large changes, I guess. This is this is the problem I have with these. They're this is what baseball is trying to do to speed up the game. <laughs> this this is this is not going to speed up the game. By like you four know, we and, were and, were and a half seconds, maybe. Yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording. But how often does an intentional walk happen? You know, once a week, maybe. I mean, it doesn't happen that often. It's a very situational, you know, a very situational uh, play that,
2: that happens. In... actually happens more in NL baseball.
3: Yeah, probably. You're right. You're absolutely right. It does happen more. With the pitcher batting, there's no doubt about it. So maybe we just don't see it as much in American League baseball. But it just doesn't happen as often. And then the whole strike zone thing. Okay, so we're going to make the, now the official strike zone, right? I'm putting quotes up in the air, uh, is above the knee and not below the knee. Well, does that does that change, you know, C.B. Buckner's strike zone? Probably not. Does that change mm-hmm. these guys' You know, it, it, is is every single umpire have the same strike zone? No, they don't. It's not what they they read in the book. It's it's an arbitrary thing. Still, no matter what the the text says, the strike zone is. It doesn't matter what it says. It's still a, a judgment from the umpire. So, I don't know. I think this is a David Ortiz crying rule because of that that called third strike, and uh, it spurred something on. I don't know. I think now he might have Ortiz, tried
2: to the right people. Yeah. Now that the strike zone's getting smaller, Ortiz might hang around for another year. So the Mets
3: have like a little crybaby rule, you know. I mean, it's not kind of, crybaby, I guess, is a little understatement. Kid broke his leg, but <laughs> I was getting into an argument about this with one of my friends yesterday about that whole situation. Again, I was getting heated. People but, are still yeah. heated about that. Yes, they're still talking about it. Like I was talking to two Mets fans yesterday, and they were, we were talking about the slide and the rules, and they just kept going at me. And they were like, they they were like trying to pin me down to tell me to make me say that it was a dirty play and pin me down to say that he was safe or he was out. I'm like I, it doesn't matter. Who cares? I, at I this could point. go on. I could go on for so long about that play, but the guy's the, not uh, even on the Mets anymore. I know they dropped him. They got <laughs> rid of him, and they wouldn't even throw a chase Udley. So you know what? I don't feel bad for you at all. I really don't. It's part of part of the game. I just love the fact that the the, the baseball can can uh, can regulate itself on the field, and all these rules that they're doing are just taking it away. This one, this one, this the the call, the 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 uh, intentional pass. Whatever, that's fine. Like, who cares? How many guys actually throw the ball away? Does that happen once every, like, five years? I mean, it doesn't happen ever.
2: Every now and again, though, you will get a pass ball or somebody swinging at it. But it doesn't happen very
3: often. It's not enough to, like, change anything. So the fact that they're doing an intentional pass, fine, whatever. The strike zone thing is just, I don't know, it's it's, it's a non-news factor to me.
2: The goal is to create more action in the game. So they figure that by decreasing the size of the strike zone, it's actually going to increase the amount of balls in play and, and things of that nature. I, I just think there might be more walks. I was going to say there's going to be
3: more walks too. There's going to be a lot of long at bats.
2: Yeah, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. I, I, the strike zone for a while, I, it, especially during the steroid era, was essentially the knees to the waist, which is tiny. And then after that, of recent years, it kind of went up to say the belly button. You know, just you know, kind of stomach area. Why not just make it knees to letters like it, I always thought it was?
3: Well, I still think it is. I mean, I still think that's what the umpires believe it is. And and then they they see it.
2: Anytime an umpire calls a strike at the letters, people flip out.
3: They do cry about it, but it's been called. I I actually have been seeing it being called more often this year. But my point is, the whole thing is that it comes down to the umpire. It's arbitrary. It has to do with that umpire and what he sees on that given day. You know, maybe he's still got some freaking sand in his eyes, and he's calling him a little low for the day. You know, it it has nothing to do with what's in the text. Yes, it's in the back of their mind, but they're going to call it as they see it because that's what umpires do. There's a human element in baseball, and that's what makes it good. Stop trying to make everything so freaking robotic, people. Well, you Let's know, just
2: let it go. You know, the trend is that eventually there's just going to be a yeah, computer dude, like chip. tennis, it's yeah. going to be a computer chip in the ball, and it's going to be all digital. There might yeah, still I mean, be an umpire well, behind the plate for, I don't know, for show, for for just just for decoration. But it's going to yeah. basically be a automated strike zone.
3: At some point, it will probably be that you're you're right. It's going to be like tennis. Tennis has the uh, that that system. I forget what it's called, spot track or I don't know what it's called. But they uh, they have the, the you know the the lines pretty much all automated. I mean, you could tell. There's a little beep that goes off if it, if a ball's out, and it pretty much takes the line judges out of the play. So yeah. So I I just hate to see that though. I really do because there's so much of a human element in baseball that is part of the game and and that I. I really like that part of it because i don't know it's it's just part of baseball you know there there needs to be people doing calling different things i I like it for every sport i I like the human element in there
2: and as long as there's the human element of the umpire calling balls and strikes it's the games are not going to really decrease in length it's true so uh, i don't mind three-hour baseball games i mean i don't like four-hour baseball games But three-hour baseball games are fine with me, but I guess people want them down in the two-hour 30, two-hour 40 range. And I just don't see that happening, especially with all the pitching changes and and everything going on today. Okay, let's get into the recaps of some of these games. Before we do that, though, I would just like to take a minute to say that the Arizona Diamondbacks are a second-rate franchise and they have second-rate uniforms. Those things absolutely suck night one, they had pants that had like this red blotchy thing at the bottom. It looked like they stepped in paint. And then the second night they had alternate uniforms on and it looked like those, that 3d art that Kramer bought in Seinfeld. What the hell are these things? They have, they have, if you look at what they did in the off season, they, have, I,
3: I pay a lot of attention to this cause uh, I don't know, I have my, I have my, my head in a lot of like the design areas and sports design and branding and things like that. And, they, they, they have, I think, up to 10 alternate uniforms. There's a lot of them. They have a lot of different alternate uniforms. And they've gone with a lot of like, it's it's a, if you look at it closely, it's a dot. And the dots are, are just more uh, solid. And then they, they kind of lighten up as you go up. So it they're trying to make it look like, uh, you know, the socks are up a little bit. And you're seeing a lot of this on the football uniforms. You see a lot of it in like college football. This yeah, this type exactly. of design.
2: College sports.
3: Yes. So... They're they're trying to be well. It is extremely trendy and it's it's very like on point with with a lot of what's going on in sports and like new trends in sports. And I kind of like it for that point. It's not a traditional baseball look. I'm not completely upset with it. I don't think it looks that bad, honestly. But um, yeah, I mean, I can see why people don't like it. I mean, they're you, you really when you start looking at baseball uniforms, I mean, they're very traditional. It's a very traditional thing. And, and when you start seeing. Uh, stuff like this it's it's starting to turn into more of a you know football basketball type thing
2: anytime you have 10 alternate jerseys you have you're doing something wrong
3: they're just trying to make a a mark they're trying to get some pr throwing they're,
2: they're just throwing shit at the wall seeing what sticks
3: yeah, it's like the, the, the basketball uniforms that I cannot stand. The ones that the Golden State Warriors wear the, with the sleeves. I, yeah. I think those are the stupidest things in the world.
2: Yeah, and they,
3: I, I hate looking at them.
2: Yeah, they and yeah, there's some teams, I know the Celtics wear this like gray faded thing that gray is not even a color of the Celtics. So I don't know where they got gray from. Well, teams introduce
3: new colors all the time just because they need more marketing material.
2: <laughs> yeah, and the Yankees are probably the most traditional franchise where they stick to two uniforms and two uniforms only. And I'm I'm not saying that's what needs to be, but, but those Diamondback uniforms are not good. Monday night in Arizona, the first game of that series, the Yankees got totally blown out. It was a mismatch kind of on the mound anyway, though, because it was Chad Green versus Robbie Ray. And Ray is a left-handed pitcher, kind of a hard thrower, funky wind-up, sidearm delivery, which has always given the Yankees trouble in the last year or two. So, you know, I don't know. I didn't really expect much out of this game. But when you're coming off that kind of a homestand where you win three straight series against good opponents, you don't expect to get blown out 12-2. to But I guess, you know, that's exactly what happened on Monday. Yeah, Chad
3: Green obviously didn't give them the start that they wanted. I mean, he, he didn't look terrible. I, I thought he was... A little Charles, Bow terrible. I didn't even mean to do that and just came out like Charles Barkley <laughs> but um, it's early in the morning man. Yeah, he uh, He he let up that home run that that was kind of his dagger, but he, he didn't pitch terribly uh, before that and you know he, I saw some good things out of Chad Green I mean, I think he's got I think he's got some good pitches that you know, he can uh, he can work on and, 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 and become a, a viable starter so I think uh, we haven't seen the last of him and the uh the fact that he got it in on the road you know good for him I'm glad we knew it was a waste game right so at this point this dude's just trying to get some work in if we get a good start then
2: awesome if we don't kind of expected that we'll see basically what we're going into I kind of hate that because you're you're calling up guy who is the depth starter they got for Justin Wilson along with Luis Sessa in the offseason from Detroit I hate that it has to be a waste game. Why can't it just be a game that you are giving yourself a chance to win? Why do you have to go out there saying, yep, we're probably going to get blown out today? Well, I don't think that
3: they were saying that. I think that we are saying that. I think the fact that they, they had confidence in Chad Green, he pitched well in, in A, So the fact that he came in and he did have a couple of good innings, got out of some jams. Then that three run home run happened. And that's when we started seeing Connor Moley and and I think Phil Koch pitched in that game. But that's when, that's when Girardi was like, OK, this, we're going to chalk this one up. We're going to save our guys. And we're going we're to go out and uh, play for the rest of the series. That's what I think happened. So if, I think if they, were go, if they got a good start from Chad Green, that they were going to go for it. And I don't think they expected to lose the game, though.
2: I, I don't think that's a mentality. Chad Green had been pitching very well in Scranton. He had a yeah. sub-2 ERA over seven starts. I, I would think he could come up to the major leagues and at least give you five strong innings. It was that home run, that home run. He he, it was a bad pitch. Yeah, that was in the fifth inning, though, and that that pushed the game out of reach for the Yankees. My point is that the kid
3: made a uh, one mistake in that in that inning, and that's what he made a him couple because- other
2: mistakes too. He gave up a home run to Goldschmidt. I mean, he did not pitch well.
3: Giving up the home run to Goldschmidt is not the worst thing in the world. The he did not pitch well. You're right. He did not pitch well. I'm not going to say he sit here and say he did. But my point is, is that the kid a couple balls bounce the wrong way. That's baseball, Susan. You're not going to you'll, you'll see him go another inning, and then we will be talking about this completely different. So, it is what it is. Yeah. I don't think they were expecting to lose the game. This is a guy that came up. If they they anything, anything positive would just be gravy at that point.
2: I understand what you're saying, and you're right. How angry can you get at a, at Chad Green? It's his first start for the Yankees. Fine. The thing that does piss me off is the next night, Tuesday, Michael Pineda went out there and pitched another stinker. He is now officially, statistically, the worst pitcher in the American League. He leads the league in ERA with a six point six. Leads the league in ERA. I love that. Yeah. At least we have a pitcher that leads the league in something, right? Uh, Pulled after five innings, five earned runs. He was going up against Greinke, who was bound to be, you know, typical stud Zach Greinke at some point this was the game he did that i think you and i mentioned that it was probably going to happen on last week's episode but is when is Pineda going to figure this out eventually it has to turn around or they're going to have to Does it? De- or they're going to have to make a decision because you can't keep throwing a 6.6 ERA on the mound every 5th day you know, the
3: very interesting thing about Pineda, and this is not what we saw with Ovaldi's with struggles last year, because I know Ovaldi was the, the extremely frustrating dude for you last year, and I think you've changed your tune about this guy, but um, Pineda is that guy for me, no doubt, and I'm sure for you now too, but Pineda is just extremely frustrating watching him pitch, You know, we, we talked about this, I I, I commented on this last week about how he just wears everything on his sleeve in a bad way. He, he shows his frustration. You, you just, you could tell the guy's not into it. He's not, he doesn't have the mental makeup of a, of a pro pitcher, in my opinion. And, and you could tell this year, what I was getting at is that the, the, the coaching staff is visibly upset with him and verbally upset with him because they're talking about how this needs to change. And this wasn't the tune of, of, of Valdi last year where he's close, he's close, he's close, No, no, no. Pineda has just been getting worse and nothing is getting better. And it's not, they keep saying it's not a mechanical thing. It's not a mechanical thing. It just needs to be adjustment on his end. He's just making bad pitches. He's leaving the ball up. When he's he's getting into 1 2, 0 2 counts, and he's leaving a ball in the middle of the strike zone. It's ridiculous. So he's getting himself into into to counts to succeed, into pitcher's counts. But then he's not executing. And that's on him. It's he like needs he's to losing, execute.
2: It's like he's losing focus on the mound mid-at-bat. And it, you mentioned that the coaching staff is getting upset with him. And Girardi actually kind of called him out in the dugout during this game, if you remember.
3: Well, he was trying to stay in the game. And and Girardi was like, no, you're, you're coming no, no, out of the no, this game. No,
2: no, no. This was in like the third inning where... It was McCann and um, oh yes 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 yes. It was McCann and Girardi, and they were they went up and talked to Pineda. Kind of, it looked like a kind of like stern warning, like you either turn this around or I'm pulling your ass. Yeah, get your shit together, dude. I mean, the fact that he the 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 the, the problem is is
3: that this dude has unbelievable stuff, like unbelievable stuff, some of the best stuff in the major leagues, and. He, he just can't, he can't put it all together. That, when that slider is, is down in the zone and in the dirt where it needs to be, I mean, you listen to Flaherty and Cone and these guys talking about him, that ball needs to be in the dirt That every because that's where it's effective because it looks like a fastball coming out of the hand and then it just dies. And that's where it needs to be. But when he starts leaving that thing up and it's spinning in the middle of the plate, it gets tattooed. And he does that on, on pitcher's counts all the time. He does not execute.
2: And that's on him. It's totally on him. He had a scoreless first inning, which had been his trouble all year. But then in the second inning, he kind of had a- another mental brain fart, I feel like, because there was a sequence where Ahmed was at the plate, who was the number eight hitter. He is not a great hitter, but he is you know right in front of the pitcher. There was uh, a guy on third base with one out. And instead of walking Ahmed to get to the pitcher, they pitched to him and he got a base hit. Now I understand that Zach Grenke was on deck, who has like a 300 batting average, and that's amazing for a pitcher. But he's still a pitcher. Pineda should still be able to strike him out easily, and he decided to pitch to the eighth hitter, an actual real hitter, and give him a base hit. See,
3: I have I have two ways of looking at this. Like you said, Grenke is is a plus hitter as as far as pitchers go, and I know it's a smaller sample size, but he's hitting at a 300 clip. But you're looking at a guy like Ahmed who's been struggling, who's the eight hitter on this team. If he was in the American League, he would easily be a nine hitter. You know, you're looking at this situation where Pineda should be able to get this guy out. He should be able to execute on this on this guy, and then you start the next inning with an out, basically, because you have the pitcher starting well, right. So there was so, only one out. Oh, there was one out. Okay, my my bad. Still, get the guy to. You should be able to get the eighth guy out. There's no reason you should not get that eighth guy out. You should be going after him as as a guy where you know you can get him out, but Pineda just doesn't have the mental makeup to execute that type of thing.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's McCann or Romine that needs to be sort of leading the charge behind the plate while he's on the mound to keep him focused or, or what needs to happen, but he needs to change everything about his game because he's awful right now. Totally killing the team. The team's on a four-game win streak as we speak, and I'm petrified that Pineda's going to go out on the mound today in Oakland and get crushed. Uh, Wednesday. I'm just glad we're recording before he does. Right. <laughs> we're kind of happy right now, whereas it could have been different otherwise. Wednesday, the Yankees got a strong start from Nathan Avaldi, Six innings, one earned run. But Joe did pull him after 85 pitches in a 3-1 to ballgame to go to the big three of BMC. Do you agree with that? Actually, let's read a mailbag about that. Uh, this one is from CJ. He says, "I'm writing this to you as it's happening. I understand that the Yankees have the big three in the bullpen, but why on earth is Ivaldi coming out of the game? Is 18 in a row not good enough for Girardi? I stand up for Girardi more than a lot of other people, but this is just mind-boggling."
3: <laughs> so everybody knows that I'm a fanboy of Ivaldi. This is a this is a game that that he is pitching well in, right? He's he his his pitch count is manageable. Like this guy's doing his job at this point. And I don't know. I think you leave Evaldi in at least to go into the seventh inning. I mean he he had one hit and it was in the first inning and it was a ground ball that was that was up the middle. Like this guy's been pitching phenomenal. Keep him in the game and and see what happens you know if he gets into a little bit of trouble then you can bring your guys in but I don't know I think that he Joe needs to give a little bit more confidence with a guy like Evaldi who's really on the cusp of be taking that next step and uh and and show him the show the confidence in Avaldi that he could get through that seventh inning
2: so it's tricky because this is a very similar situation as to what happened Thursday in Oakland so why don't we just sort of tie the two together right now Thursday in Oakland, Nova was pitching great. 64 pitches through six innings, which is just insane. An insane low pitch count. But Yankees were only up by a run, and Girardi pulled him to go to the big three as well. So he did this two days in a row, which he has said he doesn't like to use the big three on back to back nights, but he did it. But I think that there's two different situations here. As you just said, Avaldi is on the rise right now. He is a pitcher that you want to turn into, you know, your your one of your studs. And oh, he, I love he, you saying that. Yeah, it makes I, me so I, happy. I don't know what, what has got, <laughs> but you want, but you want to to see him continue to gain confidence and pitch into that seventh inning. He only had eighty five pitches. He should be able to pitch into the seventh inning on a routine basis. So I think you kind of push him there, also because you have the extra cushion of a of a yes. two run lead. But Thursday in Oakland. I understand you want to get that win right away with the big three. How much do we really trust Nova in a one-run ballgame?
3: I agree with you in the two different situations. You got a 3-1 lead with Evaldi. these shut down 18 in a row. I mean, the guy was... Just pitching no-hit stuff at that point, and you got to let him go for that extra one. Like you said, he's on the rise. Give him the confidence. At least give him the the ability to go into the seventh inning and and prove that he can get through a clean inning. If he can't get through a clean inning, fine. But you have the two-run lead, so you have a little bit more cushion for for him to work with. I 100 percent believe they needed to bring Evaldi back out in that inning. Nova. I understand that the sixty four pitches is uh, is a bone of contention because of of where it is. I mean it's extremely efficient. A hell of a job by Ivan Nova. One run game at that point. Nova Nova could give up a home run in the blink of an eye, and he's proved that in the past. While he's been pitching a hell of a lot better this year while he's a starter, um I think at that point, when you have the weapon of BMC in the back, you need to use it at that point in a one-run game. I don't blame Girardi as much for there because I think the situation called for something a little bit different, and the 64 pitches at that point was kind of irrelevant.
2: Yes, totally agree with you on that. And and Thursday night, you can also blame the offense, as McCann said in his post-game press conference. Yes. And the offense in the sixth inning made two terrible base running mistakes that they could have Uh. tacked on a bigger lead, and then you could have brought Nova out. But if you're Joe Girardi sitting there and you see your offense constantly making mistakes and not able to get insurance runs, you're like, screw this. I'm going to the big three. I do not want to lose this ball game. So it, it, as I mentioned, in that sixth inning, Headley gets, leads off with a base hit and then gets picked off. And then DD later in the inning gets thrown out trying to go to second, uh, trying to turn a single into a double. Two base running errors in one inning that they could have easily gotten one, if not two runs.
3: It's so frustrating. I you know, like the the lack of sleep got me delirious and I totally forgot about the base running blunders. Yes, we were winning the game. Yes, it was it's you know, we're we're playing a little bit better at this point, but come on, fellas. Like these types of things cannot happen. We've seen it before with Didi. Didi is just I don't know what. He's he's just a he becomes a mental case. He tries to do too much on the on the base path, and he doesn't read, He doesn't have good instincts on the base path. That's that's well documented now. The fact that you know we thought early on he was just trying to do too much is a you know a, trying to trying to show the Yankees what he's got, but now that we've seen too much of, of what he's doing, uh, I, I'm 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 now believing that he's he just doesn't have great instincts on the base path, and he makes uh, he, he 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 just overreaches for things that he shouldn't. Um, so yeah, Headley getting picked off. Didi getting thrown out. These are situations that cannot happen. Cannot happen with a team like this.
2: It should at the very least have gone to a three to one ball game and you'd be in the same situation as the night before where I would have agreed with bringing Nova back out because a solo home run doesn't kill you. Yes.
3: McCann hit it on the head. He was talking to Marakovich after the game, talking about how that's on the offense. The offense needs to put up better numbers for a guy like Nova and put some run support behind him and he would have no problem going out there for uh, for the the seventh inning. But when you're in a two-run game, offense can't can't execute. I got no problem right there. In a one-run game, um, bringing out the 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 big three.
2: Do you think though uh, that Joe gets a little trigger happy with that big three?
3: I think Joe's just excited to have guys that he could trust at the back end <laughs> of his bullpen, to tell you the truth. So I kind of don't blame him. When you have a weapon like that, the only thing that I you know, I, I just hope we don't see too often is that these guys are being used all the time together because we're running into a situation right there where a Friday night, if we needed them, I don't know if they would have been available. I mean, that would have been three, three nights in a row for all three of those guys. Yeah, so they,
2: He definitely wouldn't have used all three. So, right, so, so you're
3: looking at a, a lesser, lesser of the three.
2: So I know that... Um, he, he he! I think his goal at the beginning of the big three was to mix and match them. But he hasn't been able to do that because the starters have only been able to go six innings. So I understand why this is a case where you could have gotten your starters deeper. But do you think that there might be a second guess where on Thursday, after the Yankees tacked on a couple runs late in the game, instead of going to Chapman, you let Miller finish the game, finish the save?
3: Uh, no, because I think Chapman was already up and he was he was throwing and you know he's warmed up at that point and it's a safe situation and you bring in your closure so. I don't know there there may be something with with Chapman and you know the fact that it's a close situation and you don't want to ruffle any feathers I, I'm not still dialed in on how Chapman is in the clubhouse as a as a guy as far as those stats and those numbers I'm not I'm not sure what what his mo is I have a feeling he's a little bit of a diva in that sense yeah and that and that if it is a close situation he wants to be in on the game yeah you gotta so,
2: you gotta appease him to keep him happy
3: I think there is a little bit of that with him yeah
2: Friday night, though, CC's first start off the DL, he totally stepped up, and the offense stepped up as well to make sure that the Yankees did not have to use the big three out of the bullpen, but CC pitched six innings, one earned run, picking up right where he left off when he went on the DL after that great start in Baltimore. He was also moving well. He fielded a bunt in the second inning, which I have not seen CC move that fast since like 2009, so the groin looks healthy. CC looks to be back on track. My question is, do we now need to readjust expectations for CC going down for the rest of the year? All expectations do
3: are set you up for failure. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) They set you up for failure. So no, let's let's throw expectations out the window. Can we just have no expectations for the rest of the season? But when we went
2: into the season, we thought, hey, if CC can just not suck uh, on every fifth day, we'll be happy. But he has now been probably their most consistent starting pitcher from start to finish, or from start to now. Still has not let up more than three runs in any ballgame. I, I mean, I'm not saying he's the ace, but he's... Are you? Are you not? I'm not. He's not the ace, but he <laughs> is, I think, you now expect CC to go out there and win a ballgame.
3: I guess so. I just, I don't expect him to to be terrible. I expect him to to work through it. I still think he's got that, that worker's mentality where he's got to, you know, work his butt off, get out of situations and, and really put it all together for the start. I just think he games up for that. And he's really made those, those solid adjustments. So I'm not, I'm not putting any expectations on him to tell you the truth. I just, I don't like doing that because it sets myself up for disappointment and you as a negative person should get rid of expectations. I think it would make your blood pressure go down a lot. Yeah. The, (laughs) <laughs> the, the but expecting him to come out and pitch well uh, and to keep the game in the game, I think that's realistic. I think that we're we're, we're now expecting him to to keep the Yankees in a game consistently. I, I don't think we're, we're expecting him to be t- totally terrible, which I don't think is an unrealistic expectation at that point but no I mean we're not going to look out for him to, to go in and win every game. I mean you're just setting yourself up for disappointment at that point.
2: He's done so he's done that so far so it's it's May let's
3: he's you know he's not a young guy and it's may and you know he we still haven't seen anything wrong with that knee we don't know at some point if that if that brace becomes oh, great not as a, not as efficient or not as effective you know we'll see but
2: i think you probably just jinxed it not <laughs> saturday they extended their win streak to four games longest win streak of the season and uh, what a coincidence that they win four games in a row when their starters all go six innings or more it's it, it's not rocket science But Tanaka pitched well and he was on full five days rest instead of pitching on the fifth day, which you and I had a discussion about last week. And we said that he was going to have to pitch on the fifth day again because there were no days off. But they actually shifted the rotation around to have Chad Green come in earlier in the week so that they could push everybody out. Did we
3: not call that? Did we not call it that was going to happen?
2: I know I said that. And Tanaka ended up uh, really benefiting from that extra day. But it just it, it, it's more proof that when he gets that full five days, he is an ace. And when he doesn't, he's not an ace. It's pretty black and white. Yep.
3: And that's why this like pseudo six-man rotation could, could come into effect at some point. I mean, we don't even have arms to do that. But the, the fact that they, they're going to try to push him as much as they can to get that extra rest, they're going to keep doing it. Drody I mean, and, and why wouldn't you? To, get to, to try to appease that and to get him into a situation. You ske- go
2: down a dangerous path.
3: I guess so, but you know, look, the, the numbers are absolutely clear on on how this guy pitches, and when he gets that extra day rest, he is so much more effective, and he's got he's got to have more confidence in himself when he's going out there too. So, it is what it is at this point. And um, but let's talk about the real thing in this game. Let's talk about the real uh, we, Tanaka Bowl, That's terrific. So
2: I, I see the lineup come out about three four hours before the ball game, and I'm scanning down the lineup, and I do a double take. Is that Rob Refsnyder in right field? Who the hell twisted Joe Girardi's arm to get him to start ref center in right field? Not only is he playing, but he's in right
3: field. Like This is something... Oh my gosh, I'm so excited right now. This is going to be very hard for me to contain myself. The fact that Rob center is in right field just says so much about this guy. He was not... They had him in second base all of last year. He played right field for the first time, I think, in the Yankees organization. Maybe he's spotted a couple times. But two weeks this ago. year... Two weeks this ago. year. Do we not? Do we not now all believe that Rob Snyder is a complete athlete? and could play anywhere on the base, anywhere in the in the field. This guy played outfield his entire college career. He's an outfielder, natural outfielder. He could play second base. We've seen that. He could play a pretty good second base. He struggled. He had his struggles at third base. I believe if he has more time, he could do that too. But. Why not give him the reps in right field? This guy can play anywhere you want him to. He is the Ben Zobrist of this team. Keep him on the <laughs> okay.
2: damn roster. Okay, bring it, bring it down just like one level. Let's not say he's Ben Zobrist at this point.
3: Oh, he's Ben Zobrist. He's better than Ben Zobrist. He's way more athletic. Uh,
2: way more. Athletic. So he's like, are you already writing the Hall of Fame speech for him? I'm not. Ben Zobrist is not a Hall of Famer. I'm talking about Russ Snyder if he gets the opportunity yes he could be
3: in Cooperstown absolutely <laughs> but 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 the Yankees brass holds this man down they they hold him down i mean he didn't even get playing time until until that game it's crazy he's just riding the pine keeping keeping the bench warm but he goes out there produces and can we talk about that at bat in the in the it was a fourth Bad. inning
2: yeah fourth inning and he actually saved the inning because the Yankees had two guys on and no outs and they had only one run in at the time headley then popped out couldn't get the run in and and ref snyder with a long at bat uh i believe it was was it a two nothing ball game at that point first and second two outs uh he fouled off a number of pitches got a got a tough pitch on the outer half of the plate and totally drove it to right field off the wall for a double the ball jumped off his bat he looked like a professional hitter I don't I cannot figure out why he is stuck rotting in AAA because everything I see is tells me he is a major league hitter.
3: Oh my god, dude, this guy has so much confidence in the ability in his abilities. I think defensively and offensively. You saw that at bat. I don't know how many pitches it was. Probably around 10 pitches, right? I mean, it was it was a probably around a 10-pitch at bat. Dude just fouling balls off and you can just tell he is just missing these pitches. And then when the uh, he smacks a ball right center field. Ball just you're right. It just jumped off the bat. Like when he's when he swung at the ball, it, I thought it was an out. I thought it was a, a fly ball to right field, but it just kept carrying. He's a strong dude, and it just kept carrying. And it was a huge two out RBI, two RBI double, and and put the put the Yankees up. Uh, gave him their fourth run. So, I mean, tremendous. The guy is a pro hitter, no doubt about it. And I think he's uh, he's going to turn into a terrific outfielder if they if they allow
2: him to do it. It's just frustrating because we they're not giving him the chance, and I understand that there's a lot of things blocking him in the major league level. First of all, Arod's coming off the DL probably on Tuesday, which means Ref Schneider's going to get sent down, Ugh. and and they're not going to send down Torres because Torres he's can, playing well too. Playing can well too. play shortstop and third base and ref snyder can't do either of those things and they need a backup infielder but it would be so nice if they could find a place for ref Snyder in this team because he can absolutely help them especially against left-handed pitching it would be nice if if they had a little bit more confidence in their starters to go deeper in ball games and then maybe they could carry one less pitcher yeah maybe you know if they have a a 20 game stretch where no off days then maybe you don't have ref snyder up because you need that extra pitcher but if you have a bunch of off days coming up, like they have an off day on Monday, it would be so nice to just be able to keep ref center on this team, to have that bat that you can plug in and have confidence he's going to give you something positive offensively.
3: You know, I'm I'm kind of scared for, for Tuesday to come and A-Rod to come off the DL. I'm going to be completely honest and transparent about this. I think that Carlos Beltran in the DH position at this point in the season and their careers is better as a DH than Alex Rodriguez. I think that this team is better with Carlos Beltran as the de- designated hitter and putting guys Aaron Hicks more playing time Rob Restider more playing time guys like that more playing time getting more athletic in the outfield and having Beltran be at the position he should be at as a designated hitter and and a rod not being in the game because Beltran's just to me at this point in his career a better hitter all all around and you're seeing when he is in the DH spot and not out in the outfield he's got fresher legs he's just he just looks more comfortable to play he's attacking the ball better he just looks like a better hitter and that's where he is helping this team he's not helping the team in the outfield at all he's just out there because we need him in in the in the lineup so I'm scared to see what happens when A-Rod comes back and how this team is going to react.
2: So that segues perfectly into a mailbag we got from Sebastian. He says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. Is it me or are the Yankees playing better without A-Rod? And yes, they are. But you also have to remember that they couldn't have played any worse at the That's point true. that A-Rod went on the DL. Uh, I agree that Beltron is benefiting from being a DH, as you just said. But I still think A-Rod can make a difference in this lineup because one, he's a right-handed hitter. And, and uh, two... It, we saw what he was starting to do when he when he got hurt. He was starting to hit for power, and I just think that he he does provide some leadership at this point.
3: Uh, I'm not even he's he's providing leadership right now, isn't he? He's still in the dugout. the The fact that he's a right-handed hitter to me is not as much of a factor because if he's not playing, and you got a guy like you have Castro and you have a guy like Steiner, if you were to play. You you have the right-handed bats in there. They're not the power bats that A-Rod is obviously when he when he connects, but they're guys that put more pressure. I mean today's base today's game and this team is more built. If you play the younger guys, they're they're very athletic. Today's baseball to me is more gap to gap. Than it is long ball, and you got guys like that who can play, who can put more pressure on the base path, can run the bases a hell of a lot better. A rod is nothing right now. If you think that I can't beat A Rod in a race now, you got to get your head examined <laughs> well, because now this dude's
2: got a bum hamstring. I this dude agree. can't run. Yeah,
3: so you know he's he's a liability on the base path, and I don't it's know. No I more still, of a
2: liability. He, he's still a smarter base runner than Dee and Chase Headley and Starlin Castro.
3: I, it's hard to argue that. It is hard to argue that, but the speed itself is is a uh, he's, he's a liability out there. So I don't know, man. It's, I'm just I'm anxious to I'm anxious for him to get back in to see how it's going to actually happen. And I mean, I fully expect him to get off to a slow start too, and that's not going to help. This well, team. I
2: think what you're going to see is he's he's going to not play every day. I think he's going to continue to DH Beltron, and Hicks is still going to get a lot of playing time because he's not a good bench player. Dix is not a good bench player. He needs to play every, not every day, but he needs to play four to five times per week in order to stay consistent at the plate. And I think it's actually worth it f- to keep him consistent at the plate. So can we can we then petition for a, uh, a,
3: a Carlos Beltran, Alex Rodriguez designated hitter spot when we're facing a right-hitter lefty and that's their job? That would be amazing.
2: What, what, you have what one you of those
3: guys in the lineup every night and
2: only one. Uh, so, but you really want Beltran sitting every other night?
3: When when he's in the outfield, unless he's – At Yankee Stadium, Yankee system, you can command. hide him
2: in Yankee Stadium right in field Yankee stadium, a lot you can hide
3: him. Yes, you can. That is true. Um, but I think it's going to – as the season goes on and these guys start getting tired because their bodies are going to break down, that's going to be the spot. That's going to be their role. It's going to be tough to play them all the time.
2: I agree. I think we still need to see how A-Rod's hamstring is looking when he comes off the DL because there's a very good chance he's not 100% and the decision will be made for the Yankees. It's just A-Rod can't play. Will it Will it be made for the Yankees? Because if he's not 100% but he's not hurt enough to go on the DL,
3: it's, it's going to be painful to watch.
2: Yeah, but I think that we'll find out pretty quickly. I think if he is running gingerly and he's not healthy and he's going 0 for 4 every night, I think they'll sit him down.
3: Uh, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it.
2: Okay. As we said, they still have one more game in Oakland. Hopefully they can complete the sweep. It would be the first sweep of the season for the Yankees, which is uh, it's, it's, it's overdue to say the least. And then they have an off day and a very quick three game homestand against the Blue Jays who are now in the cellar of the AL East. The Yankees are no longer in the basement. The Blue Jays are three and seven in their last 10 games. And their star player Joey Bats is all butt hurt because he got punched in the face last week and they're kind of in a tailspin
3: as he's still he's still trying to come back from that punch I mean that's that was that was awesome. I so
2: did so we were I feel recording. like we should keep talking
3: about that because it was so great.
2: We were recording as it was happening last week so that's right yeah we kind yeah, of yeah. we' reacting live but we didn't really get a full reaction to it because I'd only watched it briefly with the sound off but yeah, that was an awesome brawl. We have not seen a brawl like that in a while. And the slow-mo of of Bautista getting clocked in the face might be my favorite clip of the baseball season so far. (laughs) He has the the sunglasses wobbling off his head, his helmet going the other way. I liked it so much I made it my Twitter, Avi.
3: There is speculation that Adrian Beltre was actually holding up Jose Bautista that entire time. If If you watch the whole thing, like he's got him the entire time and Batista's is not fighting to get off of him. He's just like, okay. He's just like, okay. And Beltre like got him in a full, uh, in a full Nelson, just holding him up. So I don't know. There's speculation out there that his legs were not there.
2: Did you agree with the the suspensions where Odor got eight games and Batista only got one? I mean, yeah, you you know that Odor was going to get an extended period of time. So it, it is what I don't like,
3: I don't know the, the number, it seems like a little bit long, but the, uh, uh, you know, he well, knew Bautista, we knew he was gonna if get you saw a Bautista
2: slid in hard and then got right in Ordor's face, he and was, he was getting ready for a punch, too. It's not like Bautista was totally in He was it. getting ready
3: for a slap, he was gonna sl- hand slap him. He's gonna bitch slap him, he's gonna hand slap him with his glove. He's gonna, eh. and I then Ordor was like, just lock.
2: As much as I hate Bautista, I did kind of like his post game press conference where he said, it, I guess it takes a bigger man to knock me down,
3: yeah, or a or a big man to hold him up the entire time with with Beltray. I don't know.
2: That it was a it was a
3: pretty damn good punch, man. It was it was a great
2: it's punch. Not the first time Odor has thrown a punch like that. I don't know if you saw the clip of him in the minors.
3: No, it was Threw a very
2: it. similar looking punch when uh when he was at second base.
3: Dude, I, all I got to say is throw the first punch. I mean, he went in and he was throwing the first punch and he got it in. He connected so beautifully.
2: Well, baseball punch. baseball usually is hold me back, hold me back. And there's no punches thrown. So this is the first time in a while we've seen punches thrown and punches landed, which is a very rare thing in baseball.
3: Yeah, it just it just proves bad blood, man. I love it. I love bad blood because I you think it makes sucks? games
2: more expect. That the, uh, the Rangers were definitely cowards for make for throwing at him in the last game of the series in his last at bat. It is what it is. I don't know. But they don't play him again this year. Yeah,
3: I guess so. I'm glad they did it though.
2: I, I would, I think that they should have done it in the first or second game of that series.
3: Yeah. Is Boston burning? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds Uh, like some action going on.
2: Who knows? Um, then after the blue Jays, the Yankees go to Tampa for three. And the Yankees are right now, currently, a game behind Tampa. So, you know, the standings could be different come next weekend, but they need to take these opportunities to leapfrog the teams right in front of them if they're going to get really back into this race. I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you're playing an AL East team at this point,
3: when the Yankees, what are we, six games out, five games out, something like that? Six and a half. And what we're sitting at twenty and twenty-two, a couple games behind, uh, below five hundred. We need to get to that five hundred clip. Get to that five hundred clip, then you can start. You can start tacking on uh, W's and and feel good about yourself. I think. But when you're going against an AL East opponent at this point, when you're trying to struggle to get back in, you cannot let up. Like this is not a time where we can go through another losing streak. We need to continue. We need to continue winning these series against AL East opponents, especially because. These, these games are the ones that are going to come down. Uh, you know, We're going we're to look back at these series at the end of the year and say, hey, these were opportunities missed or opportunities taken, and they need to take, take advantage of these opportunities. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so let's get into some mailbags. We already mentioned a couple, so thanks, guys, for sending in mailbags. But let's read this one from Judah. He says, after the series versus the Diamondbacks, it is painfully obvious the Yankees have holes in the starting rotation. What is the solution? Do we trade for a new pitcher or pull a new pitcher up from Scranton? So thanks, Judah. And I want to quickly propose something. So Sonny Gray has had a terrible year. He was actually on that list with Michael Pineda as one of the worst ERAs in the American League. His value is at an all-time low. I would love it if Brian Cashman went to Billy Bean while the stock was low on Sonny Gray and traded for him.
3: This is that, – that's a Cashman move, isn't it? That's a, that's a type a of move a that... total Brian Cashman move. But don't you think everybody else is gonna be doing that too? So what? I feel I know, but I feel like this is a guy that that while he's struggling, he still has enough under his belt to say that he's not this guy. and and I don't think Billy Bean's gonna gonna go for
2: that. I, I'm not saying know. he's gonna trade him for peanuts, but say Billy Bean is dead set on trading Sonny Gray come July trade deadline. And by that time, Gray is on a streak where he has ten good starts in a row. The price tag is gonna be way higher.
3: Well, that's why I don't think Billy Bean's going to even try to go for anything right now. If you look at what's going on in the offseason and who's available, now that Strasburg got signed, I mean, one could argue that Bartolo Colon is probably one of the better starting pitchers that's going to be available in the offseason. Sonny Gray on the trade market is going to be a very hot commodity, even if he's struggling. I mean, they, people don't expect this to last. They, they see who he is. They know who he is. They don't expect it to last. I would it would baffle my brain to see Billy Bean sell low on Sonny Gray at this point, but especially knowing what's coming
2: up. To our knowledge, Sonny Gray only has one family. Uh, what? You didn't see that report that Bartolo Colon has a secret family? Oh yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. Big sexy going, <laughs> going double dip. That's a lot of work, man. I don't really understand Way how people too do much that. work. I don't understand how people do that. It's not worth it. I mean, Jesus. Uh,
2: no, but in all seriousness, I. I I uh, I don't th- I agree with you. I don't think Billy Bean is the type to just totally sell low on a pitcher, but I think it's worth the conversation. Yeah, I mean,
3: look at the Josh Donaldson. And trade. I totally
2: I- rather trade for a pitcher in June than at the end of July because you get him for that extra month, month and a half.
3: That's true, and while some would argue that. We may not need that pitcher at the end of the month, at the end of the, at the end of the year. Well, Sonny because, Gray uh,
2: isn't just a 2016. He wouldn't be just a 2016 trade. I mean, he,
3: no, be, that's true. He's controlled. I don't know what, up until when, but we went at over at this. He's controlled two,
2: for two, three years, couple of years. Yeah. He, he is a long, he's a short term upgrade and a long term solution.
3: And that's why I don't, I, I, there's no possible way he's going to sell low on, on a guy like Sonny Gray. It's just not going to happen. But it is a catchment move. We'll see. We'll see yeah, what happens. Maybe
2: after Rob Snyder has been killing the Oakland Athletics that Billy Bean will want to trade for him.
3: You watch what you're saying. Don't <laughs> don't don't talk that way about Rob Refsnyder. You
2: shut your mouth when you're talking to me. Shut
3: your mouth. Uh,
2: okay. So, well, but uh, we saw the Yankees call up some guys from Scranton, Chad Green, Luis Sessa. <laughs> Are they... Are those really upgrades? They're not. I mean, and, and when Severino comes back, he's probably going to go back to the minors, especially with the way that Nova has been pitching and the way CeCe looks to be pitching. So I think Severino is going to head back to the minors when he's healthy.
3: There's no doubt Severino's going back to the minors. One, he's going to have to get rehab starts in. And two, they're going to keep him down there until he's right because he's down there. And you're right. With the fact that Nova's pitching well, CC's pitching well, there's no spot for him right now. There's, P- just, there's just not a spot. Pineda's oh, Pineda, spot. Pineda, that's true. Pineda does have a spot. We'll see what do I don't. I have no idea what they're going to do with Pineda. God God help him if he doesn't pitch well tonight. All God right. help us if he doesn't pitch well tonight because at least I'll have a week to decompress about <laughs> it. Um, next one is from Andrew Wiley. He says, hi, guys. Thanks so much for the show. It's pretty much the only way I can get serious Yankees chat down here in Nice in the south of France. Nice from nice i love it (laughs) (laughs) given our given our yes i said our very mixed starts of the season what do we need to do to keep our games behind count down by the all-star break and to have a realistic chance at october baseball this season well thank you again andrew for uh for for writing in in the south of france it's pretty awesome that's one of those places that i need to go at some point in my life so shoot me an invite and uh and maybe we'll come out and visit the um so the yeah, Yankees go right I'll now
2: Well the Yankees right now are six and a half back of the Orioles, as we already just mentioned. Spitball right off the top of your head. What is a number you would like to see them back from the first place team at the All Star Break?
3: I say three, four games. Three, four games, I think, is uh is would be a, a nice little spot. Doable. Yeah, definitely doable. I mean, I think even more is doable, but three well, or four games I think. On, would, it it would depends say that they're on playing. How,
2: better. Yeah, it depends. It's doable whether or not if the team is kind of just muddling around 500, but maybe the first place team isn't also playing well, then it's like, do you really have confidence that the Yankees are going to play well in the second half? But if they're playing like they have been playing the last two weeks, and they've cut it to three, three and a half, four games, I think that you feel good going into the second half.
3: You have to. I mean... (laughs) You talk about the Yankees trying to get into October baseball. When you look at the AL East, there is no clear good team in the AL East. There just isn't. It's going to be a dogfight all the way until the end. But the Yankees have to put themselves in in a situation where they have a, a an Odor's chance and and Ooh, what and, <laughs> a puncher's chance, baby. You got to oh. have a puncher's chance by the time you get to that point. Boo! That's a <laughs> bad joke. And and if they if they're in a position where they can they can you know strike and and they're in a position where they can uh, overtake a, a team coming up into you know the last month of the season and when we're when we're starting to play an AL team then you got to like their chances because and this is the biggest reason the back of that bullpen. The back of that bullpen is better than anybody. If we have guys that can get to the sixth inning, the back of that bullpen can really do numbers late in the season. It really can. And if we can somehow scratch or claw, and there's no other there's no other team that's taken away a wild card spot either. Let's let's look at that. The wild card spot's going to be wide open, I think, till the end of the year as well. So if we can somehow scratch and claw in, I think this team is built for postseason with their pitching staff in the back of that bullpen. Just got to get those bats ready and, and keep them healthy by the end of the year.
2: It's still very early to start playing standings or, you know, start watching the standings on the scoreboard. Yeah. Uh, so just can't get
3: too big of a hole. That's the big thing. Gotta
2: con- the Yankees got to concentrate on playing well right now, and then they can start worrying about the standings in a month or two. All right. So next up, we have. I thought my
3: outdoor joke was pretty good. Actually, you just didn't get it. And that's why I didn't hit.
2: <laughs> it was it was mediocre at best. Oh, man. The C minus. Oh, get the hell out of here. <laughs> It, 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 you know what it was? It, you had to think about it too much.
3: Now I think you had to think about it. Let's take. I'm going to take a poll after this comes it's out. It's because got you it. woke
2: me up with like four hours sleep.
3: You should be awake right now. It's 11.15 in the morning.
2: Uh, next mailbag is from Ryan. He says, hi, guys. I'm another one of the British listeners who really enjoys the podcast. It's essential for my Yankees fix, so keep up the great work. I know the internet is full of insane trade proposals, but it would be fun to hear a genuine discussion about what the Yankees could expect to receive by trading veterans. For instance, how many top 100 prospects could the Bombers get for Andrew Miller? What is Chapman's value given the domestic violence stuff and his status as a rental player? Would any team give up actual breathing humans for Tex, McCann, or Beltron? So we actually kind of talked about this when we mentioned the Buster only piece, but we can get into some of the other players he mentioned. And quickly, I just want to mention that I read that mailbag perfectly. I don't know if you noticed that.
3: <laughs> I'm getting yeah, better. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations. Hooked on Phonics works for Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: what? So uh, Andrew Miller, we already mentioned. Chapman, we already mentioned. But Tex and Beltron, those are interesting because those got, those contracts are both up at the end of the year. So they are very classic trade at the trade deadline to a team that needs a bat players what do you think the Incas could get for either one of those guys uh, you're not
3: getting a damn thing for Teixeira right now because Teixeira is just uh, he's hitting 191
2: yeah. with right. zero power but do you think that's gonna last all year
3: it's lasted for two months so who knows i mean this is a ridiculous start from Teixeira. it's unexcus- it's inexcusable for what to share i mean the fact that we're not we, we talk as much about chase headley sucking and that we're not we, we've really kind of given him a little bit of a pass to share and not complaining more about him we should be complaining way more about him i think we just expect him to suck in the beginning of the year i don't know but not this bad. Uh, it's, it's been it's been bad real bad and Beltrán's I think is the guy that you can look at Beltrán's a guy that is a professional hitter and would be a DH a phenomenal DH anywhere. He's, he would definitely go to a, an American League team. Um, so I think there's some value there for, but I don't know how much you're going to get. You're not. You're not going to get a, a a big, probably you, not a prospect guy. No, up. but if
2: if a team is looking for, uh, well, if a team has an injury to one of their, you know, right fielders or a DH, and they want to trade for Beltran, I think you might get a little bit more out of them. But I think if you could convince a team that's in contention to give up, you know, one of their top. Say six or seven prospects in their system. Not going to get your their number one prospect, but you might get like you know six or seventh best prospect in their system. Which, who knows, could provide good good depth for your team, or maybe even more.
3: Yeah, I, you know we just got to see don't where we are at the dis- trade I just deadline. Don't think you
2: can disregard if you're out of it at the trade deadline. I don't think you can disregard trading anybody.
3: Oh no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I just. As this season is going on, you know, with the, it's been very streaky play, you know, and the way that the AL East is shaping up, it's going to be hard. The way that the, the the big thing is is the way the AL East is shaping up, and and how the Yankees organization is really going to take that into consideration, right? Because. You know, if we're if, if everybody's struggling, then then what do you do? Right. Exactly. So,
2: if if you're if you're four games out at the trade deadline right. and everyone's kind of just playing mediocre, what do you do? You're in a, you're yeah. stuck between a rock and a hard place.
3: It's a very difficult situation because anything can happen in postseason baseball. If you get hot at the end of the season, any team can win it. But and especially with the back of a bullpen, you got to hope
2: that Cashman can be very objective about this team and assess if he actually thinks they can compete for a playoff spot or not. Because I I feel like uh, it was 2014 when the team was kind of hanging around the playoffs, but you knew they weren't going to really do anything. It would have been nice if Cashman had realized that a little bit sooner.
3: Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think Andrew Miller's the guy. It's so funny because when you look at these guys and you look at the trade prospects of, of who could use these guys, the New York Mets come up every single time with what they have to offer and what the Yankees have to offer. They're a beautiful marriage, but it's just never going to happen.
2: Gonna, right? It's like the Yankees and Red Sox. They're never going to trade either, even though they did yeah. trade Kelly Johnson for Stephen Drew. <laughs> the,
3: the Right. The, the infamous Stephen Drew trade. The, uh, the that was, I think, they were just laughing at us at that point.
2: I think that he, people were just—they were just, tra- hey, you want to—you want my crap? Yeah, I'll give you my crap. Okay, cool. The
3: the interesting team too to look at in that same division is the Nationals. The Nationals have some good prospects, and they could definitely use some relief pitching. I think a, a guy like Andrew Miller, or Chapman, or one of these guys—that's a—that's a place to keep your eye on. Um, so Bryce Harper we, for Andrew Miller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've we've done we've we've worked deals with the Nationals in the past, so there's a relationship there, and. Uh, the other one, I think, is Anaheim. To see where Anaheim is, I'm not saying Mike Trout, but just looking at Anaheim to see where they are, there's definitely a relationship with Billy Epler and Brian Cashman. So look at those relationships, because Ca- uh, Cashman definitely goes to those guys. And as, as ironic as it is, I think Theo Epstein and Brian Cashman actually have a do du- uh, have a pretty good relationship. And the Cubs, obviously, are going all in and trying to win this year. So we'll see what they got, too.
2: Yeah, they they are down and outfielder with Schwarber. And Jason Hayward just... Took a nasty fall into the wall. I don't know if you saw that. Yep, I
3: did see that. Yeah, it looked like his neck was
2: but, but like bent you, backwards. But like you said that I would expect... I mean, Beltron can play the outfield and he can play the outfield for a half a season for a team. But he is yes. definitely more attractive to an American League team. Right. Okay, one final mailbag and I'll read it because it's a question for you. And it comes from Scott. another Scott and he's from Ottawa. He says, Hey guys, love the show. I'm listening in Ottawa, Canada living among the, quote, diehard Blue Jays fans. In case you didn't know, diehard in Canada means fans since last August. We did know that. My question is for Scott. Who would you rather have as the Yankees' third baseman, Chase Headley or Brett Lowry?
3: There's zero doubt in my mind that I want Chase Headley every day, all day. (laughs) I will deal with a 150 hitter and and a guy that just looks clueless out there than looking at a vampire-looking piece of... Dog, this I cannot. I literally would take anybody. I would take you, Scott from Ottawa, to play third base over Brett Lowry. I hate Brett Lowry with every being of my soul.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel.
3: I think he's the worst. It's funny how you
2: kind of were exaggerating what you would deal with for a third baseman, but you kind of described Headley to a T—a 150 hitter who makes a ton of errors in the field.
3: Yeah, but he's hitting 218 now, and he's hitting well. Ooh, he's got way more. 218. Way more power. Let's let's look at this real quick before we before we head out of here. Mark Teixeira, in 162 plate appearances is batting 191 with 43 strikeouts and three home runs, eleven RBIs in the three spot, four spot, five spot. Yeah, terrible. Chase Headley is hitting two eighteen with Uh, twenty, almost twenty less strikeouts. But he's played nine RB, nine RBIs, (laughs) two less, and two home runs. Oh
2: God, those numbers! numbers, Those those numbers from both of them are just insulting. They're so bad.
3: They're embarrassing. While Chase Headley has been much better as of late, uh, you know the guy that we need to be on is Mark Teixeira. This is the guy that is truly, truly hurting this team the most, and it just hasn't stopped.
2: I would rather have Brett Lowry on the team for two reasons. One, I think he's a better player than Chase Headley. And two, it would piss you off. It that's me off. Shocker. Uh, thank you, for everybody, for submitting mailbags. If you don't know, you can submit a mailbag at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. Or you can call the voicemail line at 646-480-0342. Definitely hit us up on Twitter. I am at Yankees underscore talk, and we found out last week Scott doesn't trust people with underscores. Scott is at Scott Reinen, and at Bronx Pinstripes is the show slash website and everything else. Any last words before we get out of here, Scott? Keep the keep the
3: winning alive, baby. We gotta keep continue it in uh, when we're playing Toronto and Tampa Bay. This is a, every ALE series is a big series.
2: All right, we will talk to you guys next weekend.